to you Luke chapter 1. Brother Chris read it for us earlier before Bible class. Luke chapter 1, 46 to 55. You can easily call this the greatest song ever recorded. Luke 1, 46 to 55. Mary's song, greatest song ever recorded. Boy, the sun has come out looking all wonderful for us after rainy, dreary weather. It's too bad. My personality really more fits the rainy, dreary, cloudy weather. But uh, for most of you, the sunshine is wonderful. But most importantly, the, the purpose that brings us together is the most wonderful thing of all. And this part of our worship, let's focus on Luke 1, 46 and Mary's song. Mary's song. The first thought I want us to see about Mary here is that she worships from the heart. She worships from the heart. Notice she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Oh, how many warnings are there in the Scriptures? to all of us about lip service to God. About lip service. About mere words. Mere words. About um, rote worship. Uh, mere forms. Mere forms. Structure. Outward but not inward. Matthew 15, 7, Jesus says, This people draws near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But that's not Mary. Boy, Mary, when she worshiped, her entire spirit and soul is in it, as it ought to be. We worship from the heart. Turn with me to Psalm 42 as a comparison here. Psalm 42 are you there? Verses 1 and 2. As a deer pants for the water streams, so my soul, so my soul pants after you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I be able to come and appear before him again? That's the way it ought to be. So Mary worships from the heart. The heart. When did we first receive our soul? Well, way, way back at conception when you were in your mother's belly is when you first receive your soul. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 7 we usually read this at funerals, but it's very appropriate to read for much, much earlier in life. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 7, the writer says, For the dust at death, the dust returns to the earth from whence it came, but the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Who gave it. Our soul doesn't uh, originate on earth. It originated in heaven. 
God put the soul, he created our bodies as well, of course, but he puts the soul within us. And Mary is using that wonderful aspect to worship the Lord. See, we're made in the likeness and image of God, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, which means we have the capability of digging down deep and thinking and learning and feeling and choosing. And Mary is doing this in her worship to God. Jesus once said, he teaches us, for example, in Luke 10 and 27, that we shall, we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, heart and soul and mind and strength. The intellectual part of us, the emotional part of us, the behavioral part of us, all thrown in to worship. Mary said, my soul is in this. That's the first thought I wanted us to think about here. Mary worships from the heart. And do I do that? Okay, do we do that? No lip service for Mary. Neither in her worship or her life. She was a dedicated servant of our God. All right. Going back to the song now, Luke 1, 46, 47, 48. I want us to notice secondly this morning how Mary addresses the Lord. How does she address him? How does she call upon him? Okay. How does she refer to him? Well, of course, she refers to him as Lord. My soul does magnify the Lord. Okay. She refers to him as as God, but especially then she says, as God, my Savior, verses uh, 46 and 47. But then look on down to verse uh, 49. She said, he who is mighty, verse 49, Luke 1, he who is mighty has done great things for me. And he who is holy in his name, holy is his name. And then verse 50, and the one whose mercy, his mercy is for those who, who fear him. And then notice verse 51, he is strong. His strength is shown in his arm. How does she address the Lord? Well, as Lord and as God and as Savior and as mighty, almighty, and, is, and as the Holy One okay, and as the merciful one and the one who has all strength in his arm. When we worship, when we pray, how we address our God is so vitally important. Now our culture today <clears throat> sometimes refers to God in, in such a meaningless way. For example, you might hear, well, do you believe in a higher power? A higher power higher power or do you believe in a force that is greater than yourself that's no way to refer to God 
a higher power, a force greater than yourself. Well, an idol worshiper can use the same type of language in his worship. He's worshiping a, a block of wood, okay. a higher power, a force, a force. We're not worshiping gravity. We're not worshiping some cosmic energy. We're worshiping the God of the universe, the Savior of the world. Okay. wonder why people like to, to bring God down so much, make Him so vague as they talk about Him. Why do people... Well, if you depersonalize God, then that takes away the responsibility. I mean, what kind of accountability do you have before some cosmic force or some, some universal dust. I mean, there's no accountability there. I mean, can you, there's no force or energy going to judge us. Now, the God of this universe is going to judge us, but if we, if we dethrone him and start talking about him in such vague terms, and there's, there's no responsibility there. There's no dependability there. There's no accountability there. We might say, well, this force or energy brought me into this world. Now it's up to me. It's all up to me now. He's turned it over to me. Now I'm the force. I'm the energy here. Okay. But this is not Mary's. This is not Mary's way. Okay. He is our Lord. He's our Savior. He is the Holy One. He is the Mighty One. He is the merciful one. How would we even be here without his mercy? You would never be able, we would not even be drawn to get up and come here today except for the mercy of God. So notice how she addresses the Lord. A third thing I want us to see here in Mary's song, in Mary's song, is to notice how anxious she is to make him known how anxious she is to make him known. Notice the word magnify. My soul magnifies the Lord. The word magnify is to make greater, to make greater. Now we cannot make the Lord any greater than he is. He is ultimately great and he is eternally great. What we do does not make him any greater than he is, but he can have a greater presence in our hearts and he, he can have a greater presence upon our lips, wouldn't you agree? And that's what Mary's all about. When you read, when you read this song, you'll see something like 23 references to Old Testament Scripture. Especially, especially this song almost mirrors the great song of Hannah. You remember Hannah from 1 Samuel 1, 1 Samuel 2? Remember Hannah, she was without child and the Lord blessed her to be able to bring Samuel into the world. She was so thankful. If you want to turn back there right quick, just notice 1 Samuel 2, just a couple, first couple of uh, phrases in that song, but notice the similarity here in 1 Samuel 2, first part of that, uh, chapter, Hannah prayed and said, Hannah prayed and said, 1 Samuel 2, 
My heart exalts in the Lord. My strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you, O Lord. There's no, there's no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge and by him actions are weighed. The, the bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength from the Lord. And she goes on and on. Mary's song is very much filled with similar phrases from Hannah's song. And so what Mary has done, she has saturated her soul with the knowledge of God. That's what she means when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And if we want to learn to pray and to sing as we really ought to, then we will fill our hearts with Scripture. Back in Mary's day, Jewish girls, little girls, were, were made. It was part of their family custom to memorize portions and portions and portions of Old Testament Scripture. And you can see this just comes out in her prayer and in her celebration, in her, her song. And if we would do that, I know some say, well, it's more important to know where to find it in the Bible than to memorize it. Well, do you ever go there? If you know where it's at, do you ever go there? But what about praying? What about praying? What about worshiping? What about meditating? Isn't it good to have, already have portions of Scripture in our hearts so we can truly pray to the Lord as He would have us pray. Psalm 119 verse 11, thy word have I hidden in my heart. We need to be hiding God's word in our heart. It's what Mary is doing. And so when Mary says, I magnify the Lord, that means she is saturating her soul with the knowledge of God so that she can make the Lord known from her lips. She exalts him. She lifts him up. She wants people to know about him. She wants to sing about him. She wants to talk about him. If we, if we magnify the Lord, this is the process. First, saturate our soul with knowledge of God and then be ready to speak out, to let it be known in worship and in song that we love and adore him. This little pattern is found in Colossians 3.16, by the way. Colossians 3.16, one of our singing verses Colossians 3.16, notice how it starts. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And then he says, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. But this is the process. First you fill your hearts with the word and then naturally, second nature to you, you it will come out in your life and in your in your prayers, in your worship. It's interesting in our selection of songs for worship. More and more as, as I grow in the Lord, bit by bit, 
I have a tendency to want more of those songs that are rich in content. Not the songs that, that bring out a line from Scripture and then repeat it 11 times. I'm looking for songs like Mary's songs that are full of Scripture, full of the thoughts of the nature of God. And then sing those to God. Praise Him, praise Him. Tell of His excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him. Let all the earth do that. And so we see here that Mary is anxious to make known the Lord. Now in the next place as we look at Mary's song here, notice that she sees her need, desperate need of the Lord. Notice that Mary refers to God as her Savior. As her Savior. Mary does not look at herself as some sinless person. But she, like the rest of us on earth, she, like the rest of the people in history except for the Lord Jesus, she, like the rest of us, she knew and she knows she's a sinner. And she, she knew, she knew, right here in these early days, these early days, of the life of the Savior on earth, she knew that He was to be her Savior. And she needed Him. She needed His death. She needed the Lord's mercy. She needs the blood of her own Son. Stop and contemplate that for a second. Let your mind wander a little bit. Okay. It's okay to do that. People get so panicked when you stop and you take a little side road. Okay. These side roads are help us to think. Okay. So I'm going to let you think with me for a second. In Matthew 22, 44 and 45, Jesus brings out the fact that old King David, in prophecy, made reference to Jesus as his son, and as his Lord. And Jesus asked the Pharisees about that. How is it that, that, that the Messiah was the son of David, but also his Lord? Well, easy. Jesus came through the lineage of King David in a fleshly way. But spiritually, of course, the Messiah would be the Lord of David as he is now. And so go back to Mary. As she is singing this song, she obviously is, is reflecting upon the fact that, that Jesus is her son, but also her Savior. Physically, this little boy is my son. Spiritually, this little boy this man is my Savior. Mary would stop and think deeply. We know this as we watch her move along. Remember when the shepherds come and they are, they are instructed by the angels to go and see 
the Messiah, the Savior of the wor world. He's been born. He's, he's lying in a manger, Luke 2. And they come and tell Joseph and Mary all about what the angels had said to them about their son. And Luke 2, 19 says, Mary treasured all these things up in her heart. Same thing when 12-year-old Jesus got separated from his parents. They found him in the temple and Jesus said to his parents, Luke 2, 48, 49, How is it that you sought me? Did you, did you not know I must be about my father's business? Luke 2, 51, Mary stopped and she treasured these things, contemplating them in her heart. That's what she's doing here. She sees her need for her Savior. This is her, her son, but this is her Savior. No other woman in history has been able to stop and consider her situation like she was able to do. And we, like Mary, need to be able to see our desperate need for our Savior, for His life, for His suffering, for His death, for His blood, for His power, for His resurrection, resurrection, for His ascension on high, for His rule over us, for His church, for His hope, and for His guidance and His love and care. We must be able to see it as well. In the next place, as we look at Mary's song, I want us to see Luke chapter 1 and see how that she really meditates on the compassion of our Lord. She says, you have, you have looked and regarded the low estate of your servant. Verse 48. The humble, the low estate of of your servant. Now she felt this way certainly because she knows she's a sinner, but I think there's more to it than that. This I think is is the beginnings of really the the true Cinderella story. This is a Cinderella story, but it's no fairy tale. No fairy tale. Without doubt, and we can make the case if we wanted to take the time and, and, and spend extra time on it this morning, but it's, there's no doubt that Mary and Joseph were quite poor. And the proud treat the poor in a different way. That's life. We see that even in the church. And yet the Cinderella story is that oftentimes those who are looked upon lowly and of less importance will sometimes achieve the very things that the proud are so anxious to achieve. And this is Mary. She said, Lord, you looked at me in my low estate. See, that's not how the proud look at the lowly. For example, I was hearing a story one time of a, of a custodian at a hospital. And he was just making his rounds, picking up the dirty laundry, and he saw the head nurse. And with a great deal of chipperness and sunshine, he greeted her with a good morning. 
And she didn't even acknowledge that he was in the world. She just completely ignored him, looked upon him with contempt. And so Mary and Joseph would know about that kind of a treatment. In fact, Jesus himself experienced this kind of treatment. If you look at Isaiah chapter 53 and the great prophecy of our Lord, you will remember these words from Isaiah 53 and verses 2 and 3. He had no form, Jesus. He had no form or majesty or comeliness that we should even look at him. There was no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Jesus received this same sort of treatment while he was walking about on earth. And as we meditate upon this ourselves, we ask ourselves, well, which, which of these are we going to be? Are we going to be like the proud and look upon the lowly with contempt? Or are we going to, well, do more like Paul says in Romans 12 and verse 16, where he says, do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly and never be conceited. This is a lot more than just taking food to somebody. This means you treat others better than yourself. You treat others with a great deal of dignity and respect. In other words, you become more and more like the Lord and not like those who treated or mistreated the Lord. Which one are we going to be? In the old movie, Ben-Hur, set in the time of Jesus, the slave, the slaves were so mistreated. And the particular slave that was concentrated on in this movie they were being led through a desert type place and water was short and they stopped for a water break but they wouldn't give it to him. Not to this slave. And finally he falls down to the ground and whispers a prayer to God just almost giving up. And then the movie shows a man approaching him there on the ground you don't ever see the man's face, you see the back of his head, and he offers him a cup of cold water. And it's obvious, unless you just don't know anything at all about anything, it's obvious that the man portrayed giving him the cup of cold water is Jesus. It's a very touching, powerful scene. And it reminds one of Matthew 10 and 42, where our Lord himself says this, whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. Mary saw the compassion of our God. 
compassion of her Lord. And she knew it was special. And she brings this out in her song. One other thought about Mary's song here as we move into our further parts of our worship. But notice here that she highlights the importance of fear. The importance of fear. Verse 50, Luke 1, verse 50, His mercy is for those who fear Him. As we said a moment ago, we wouldn't even be here if not for the mercy and the pity of our God. How true that is. But God's mercy is extended. The benefits of His mercy come to those who fear Him. Not fear in the sense of being afraid of a burglar or being afraid of a ghost. We're talking about real fear here. We're talking about reverence. We're talking about awe. We're talking about admiration. We're talking about adoring someone. We're talking about only the type of reverence and respect that can be given to, to God Almighty and to Him alone. She says, those who fear, those who fear will know His mercy. Without fear, we have no hope. Proverbs 1 and verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's not only the beginning of wisdom, it's the beginning of everything. It's the beginning of faith, it's the beginning of, of submission, it's the beginning of understanding everything that there is to understand. There's no hope without fear. And yet some don't. Some don't. Some, some could care less that... It's really amazing to, to watch and see or to hear. Paul mentions this in Romans 3, 17 and 18. He talks about sinners. He says they don't know the way of peace because there's no fear of God in their eyes. That, that's, the, that's the big problem in life. There's no fear of God in people's eyes. Sometimes you can hear it. If somebody takes the name of God and uses it like a curse word, they're lacking fear. They're lacking fear. If someone uses words that are just not holy, they don't belong to the high ground, then there's no fear of God in their eyes. Sometimes I'll sit over here at Jack's little restaurant and do some of my contemplating. And I'm, even now, after all these years, even now, I'm still amazed. People will sit down and then you hear the words and here goes the words, blank this and blank that and blankety blank this and that and God's name is thrown in there and you just about want to take and what do you, you just want to get up and start talking about Mary or somebody or something. But the, the problem is, there's no fear of God. There's no thought of God. Do they not understand God is hearing that, those very words? Don't they know that He knows it all inside and out? There's no fear. Well, this is the greatest song ever recorded in my book. And we, know, we, didn't, we didn't even get down to three or four verses. But oh, how Mary inspires us to think deeply 
about our soul. My soul. What about your soul? What about your soul? It's interesting to trace the journey of the soul. The soul. You re, we receive our soul at conception. That soul is housed within our bodies during life. When death comes, the soul leaves the body. On judgment Day, Resurrection Day, our soul will be joined with a new body. And then there's only two alternatives. There's either comfort with God or torments. There's either heaven and paradise or there's hell. The journey of the soul. Where are we? Where are we in that journey? Are we living life carelessly? There are things that war against the soul, Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12. How are we dealing with those things that war against the soul? What about our worship to God? What about our service to Him? We invite you to the Lord this very morning as we stand and